Good morning. Right. So I'll pray for Lucy right now. She goes off to be wonderful upstairs. Ah. All right, so if you wanted one of the handouts, they're coming out right now. You can follow along there. You can follow along on the screen up here. If you have a web-enabled smartphone, you can follow along with that as well. Go to the free app called Uversion. In the bottom right corner, there's uh, something that says More. Click on that. Look for Live Events. And you can search for live events, search for into one, and you can follow along on your phone there, and that'll give you access to all the scriptures and the notes as well. We're in the second week of a series called The Gifted, and what we're trying to do here, just to break it down for you, is to get everyone to have a common language, common way of speaking, and a common understanding about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are, are, are mentioned, but often they're mentioned in passing. We want to focus on them. Um, not because we want to focus on gifts, but we want to learn about them. We want to know what they are because we've been given them, and we want to be able to use them. So this is a breakdown that we're going to be going through for a number of weeks that helps you with that. So if you, are, uh, if you have the, the white thing there with you, you'll find that there is a, a side tab. If you would like to fill that out, if you're interested in letting us know that you are here, um, you can put your, your contact information on there and just drop it in the white box at the back, our communication box when you're done. We could know that if you have a prayer request or you'd like someone to follow up with you about something, you can fill that out on that same slip of paper. Let us know what's going on. If you want to be able to get our email update, you put the information on there as well. If you want to be part of our text prayer update, which gives you the opportunity to pray sort of as things are happening, you can fill that out on that sheet as well. All goes in the white box at the back. Same box that we use to collect offerings. So if you're interested in doing that, you can put your offering in the white box at the back. There are envelopes back there if you would like to have uh, a tax receipt, you can do that. And you can also give online if you would like through our website at intoone.ca. There's a donate now button, click that, and you can do it that way as well. Okay, so there we are. We're all up to speed. Join with me. Let's just pray, and then we're going to get started here. God, I pray that you would be with us today. We're going to try and learn, and that really means that you need to teach us. So I pray that you would speak to me today and through me. And I pray for my friends that are here also that you would speak to them and that they would anticipate that you would also speak through them as this week goes forward. We're looking forward to what you will teach us today. Thanks, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we started the idea of looking at the spiritual gifts by giving us some of the background. Last week, we started with uh, what is a spiritual gift, and we worked on it. Today, we're actually looking at building character. And that's why the undergirding of the whole package. So girding... (laughs) Girding, funny word. Um, sorry. Um, what 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 goes underneath? What what shapes this package? What holds the basket, if you will? And the Apostle Paul teaches people about character in Galatians. We just saw something about that, but this is where it comes from. Galatians five nineteen is where we can start, and this is first of all ungodly character. Because whenever we talk about character, you all have character. Some of it's good. You know what? You, you know what this is like. If, when, when that day, when you can remember your, your parents were there, and, and you came home, and your bag fell apart on the way home, but, and it had to be snowing that day, so there's a lot of snow. So your project, your books, they all, they're all covered in snow. Just fell out, everything's covered up. And when you went down to pick that up, you sort of slipped, and it was a little bit slushy. So you got soaked. 
and you're freezing cold, your books are wet, your bag is ripped, and it was the day that that special one, I, I, don't, I don't know his name or her name, but that, that special one, it didn't go as well as you were hoping that day, and you got a little bit more of the no thank you than you were hoping for, and that was the day that your math test, well, you found out that you didn't know as much as you thought you did it, and when you get home, and you're throwing your slush-covered stuff on the floor, and your mom or your dad's there, and they greet you, and they, how was your day? My day was terrible. They would greet you with that cursed phrase that if you're a parent, you've started to use now. Your day was all about building. The last thing any of us want is character, right? Because we know what it took to build it, and those days were horrible. That's what we're looking at today. And so the idea of character, first of all, we've all got it. It's just a matter of whether it's good or bad. We've got character. So this, we're going to start with what Paul was teaching to the church in Galatia about ungodly character, bad character, the, the, uh, the acts of the flesh, things that we do sort of on our own. And this is not a full list, so if your thing is not on here, don't worry, we can include that as well. But here was his list, starting at Galatians 5.19. The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So just there's a big circle around and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are pretty clear. They're not too hard to understand what do you mean by that. And sadly, they're also all too familiar. We're very aware of these things, and we're very aware of them in the culture around us. Not so necessarily aware of the culture inside us, but that's where they are. Then in contrast, right away, he goes to tell us about Christian character, godly character, evidence not that you are good, but that the Spirit is at work within you, which is even more exciting than simply being good. And this is how it goes starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And let's be honest, these are hard to embody at all times. Sometimes, I'm sure this is not the case for you, but for me, sometimes I turn away from the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I turn away from what I know is the right thing to do. I turn away from that sense inside that says, this is what you should be doing. This is the way you should be reacting. And I reject that. And when I do, I don't look like that anymore. I find those things diminish. The lighting on them decreases. And our character is absolutely key when we talk about spiritual gifts. Because the reality is that spiritual gifts and life in general is messy. Messy because us. That's why it's messy, because we are imperfect, and we are utilizing these gifts. Messy because they have to do with our lives, and if our character is not such that it's appropriate, we do things in bad ways for bad reasons. They're not about making you comfortable. That is not what spiritual gifts are about. God shows up, and when he shows up, what he wants to do and when he wants to do it, there is nothing to do with scheduling God. He will do what he will do 
whenever he wants to do it, and that is inconvenient to me. Maybe it's inconvenient to you as well. That's why I try to remind myself, interruption as opportunity, not interruption as aggravation. God appears, and there is another providential relationship. There's another moment that I wasn't anticipating, but it came, it arrived, it was given, it was a gift. I have the opportunity to respond to this situation well. Boom! It just happened. It's in front of me. I'm in the middle of it. I didn't plan it. And it's almost always on my way to do something that I planned. And it interfered with that. Sometimes these things even happen on my way to go and do something to serve God. Can you believe that he would have the audacity to interrupt me doing what I think he wants me to do? Interrupting me with what he actually wants me to do. And character enables us to respond well. This good character, these fruit of the Spirit that are alive within us. I need some deeply rooted character to inform and empower my, innest, my earnest pursuit of Jesus. Because on my own, I get distracted. I cut corners. I shave parts off. And the, the Apostle Paul learned this as well. And this is what he was getting at in his letter to a struggling church in the city of Corinth. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. So that's where we're going to really camp out. So if you want to turn there, you can. We'll put it up on the screen for you as well. You can watch there. First, it's not in your um, folder, I'm sorry, because we're doing the whole chapter. We're doing the whole darn thing, so hold on. Here we go. It's all about character, and this is what he was trying to teach these people. No matter what experiences happen, no matter what gifts are given, joy will be maintained, and the gifts will be used in balance if it's all undergirded in this Christ-like character. We believe that every Christ follower, every person who has chosen to say that Jesus is the Lord of my life, he's in charge, he's the one that I have surrendered to, every one of those people should impact those around them through joyful, gift-based service. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so last week we looked at the differences between natural gifts and acquired gifts and spiritual gifts. We also looked at spiritual disciplines and the fruit of the Spirit. It was a very high overview of a whole bunch of things that all play together and are all significant because they're all interrelated. Today we're going to continue to build the foundation before we get to the whole thing. The foundation about, before we get to what gift is like and what individual they are and what you may or may not have, we want to deal with right motives and right understanding. So this series, I think, is going to be tremendously important for us. I, I, I'd like to say that everyone has that capacity, but I don't think that they necessarily do. But this one, I believe, is truly foundational. And so I would like to say, this is the sort of thing that I would anticipate that later on we could say to someone, you want to know kind of the way we think about these things? You, you should go listen to this. You should, you should catch back up. And so if you miss a week in this gifted series, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Go back and, and hear what was going on so that we would all have a common language, common understanding, that we would have these things in common. They would bring us together and not separate. We've grown up differently. We have different experiences, and so we use words differently sometimes. That's why we want to have a common understanding. So if you, if you want to, if you'd be interested in that, I'd say go check out the podcast. You can get to it to our website under media. There's a podcast tab under there, or you can go to iTunes and just search into one, and you'll be able to follow along with that. This is something that I think is a very good idea to keep in contact with these ones. 
And it is a way that a number of people do connect with us. They stay in contact. We just finished a year. Last year, there was 3,000 downloads from our podcast. 3,000. Just in case you're wondering, that's just a hair more than our regular Sunday morning attendance. All right? 3,000 downloads of what's going on. So this is something that's very accessible. It's free. It's very easy to do. If you can't figure out how to do it, we'll set somebody up to help you. I would really like it if we could connect together in this series, have a common understanding, common language. 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Those are the chapters that are sort of focused on this area. Um, highly instructional. Um, they're not out of date. We will, we will see this as live coaching and teaching. It's not the sort of stuff that the church in general or this church in, general, in specific has outgrown. It is very applicable to actually living out this whole Christian thing. So much was happening in the city of Corinth, and much of it, much of it needed guidance and redirection and even correction. And so that's what Paul was doing. He came and he wrote this letter with the mindset of correcting a mindset that had gone astray. This is not just new information that he's bringing up. He is teaching, and he's teaching to a situation that is real and needed to be adjusted. Real people, real situations, then and now. Issues, tons of them that needed to be dealt with. Paul shows us time and again that the goal of a pastor, of the leadership, the, the, the church itself, is not to, um, before anything starts, before anything happens, to dismiss or to stop a spiritual experience, whether it's in private or in public. But our role and our goal is first to discern the source. The most important thing is for us to understand where this is coming from. Is it human? Is it demonic? Is it medical? Is it God? And, and, and if that experience is from God, no matter how uncomfortable it might make us all feel, Paul wants us to deal with the gift or the motive behind the experience and to connect in this way. That's why after chapter 12 is chapter 13. Yeah, it just makes sense. Numerically it works, but, but it works in the flow of what he's teaching as well. Here's what I'm going to teach you about spiritual gifts. Then, whew, okay, before we go too far, I want to tell you all about what's chapter 13 all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is called the what chapter? You hear it at weddings all the time. Love. It's the love chapter. So, get this right. Here, here's information about gifts and the way it starts to work out. Hold on, before you go any farther, what it matters most then is about love. And he goes on to teach about love. We read it at weddings all the time, but the heart and the, the, the meaning of that passage was not just married love, it was communal love. How do we behave together? What are those things that should be bubbling up underneath us? And love is the answer that he had for that. The gifts that we're going to be talking about, they're accessing a, a very deep, growing character within us. And without that character we have real potential for danger, and that's why we want to have a strong, strong understanding, undergirding, again, um, fishing into that reservoir of grace and love that is underneath joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These things, if they are underneath the spiritual gifts, then the spiritual gifts will work out properly. They're always connected. Spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Um, the problem comes when you have a gift of the Spirit, but you're lacking the character to back it up. And that's when we see problems. We see tensions within the church there. So what does a genuine work of God look like? Let's jump. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1. 
Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's cool. That's exactly the same thing that we're doing. We're going to try and make sure that you're not uninformed, that we are not uninformed, that we can share a common language and a common story, and we will go forward together. So many of us say, God, what is your will for my life? This is one of the things that comes up again and again, and this is one of the beautiful things that we can notice, that quite often the question that we ask is not the question that God intends to answer. He has a deeper reason, deeper point, deeper meaning. I mean, what school should I go to? What class should I take? Who should I date? What house should I buy? Where should I live? These are the things, and they're not insignificant, but they're not the primary will of God for your life. The primary will of God is, well, first of all, know your gift. Once you know your gift, use them. That's, your, that's the, the will. That's the purpose. That's what you're supposed to do. He gave you a gift so that you would use it. You would use it to build up the body for the common good. So you say, what's the will of God in my life? Well, find out what the gifts are that you have and then use them. That's what you're supposed to do. That's the will of God. The other stuff, it's important, but let's get the priority list straight because we quite often say, let me find the house, and then I'll worry about my character. I'll worry about my spiritual side after. Let's just get what I want first, and that's not the way God ever works. Uh, God gives gifts to both men and women. There is no distinction in the giving of gifts. There isn't a uh, hierarchy in gift giving. They are given, and they're given in gender unrelated ways. Nothing to do with how the gifts are given. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now the designation of pagan that they use here, uh, in this, it used to mean just non-Jewish. Somebody who wasn't Jewish was called pagan. And then as time goes by, it was increased to say, pagan means before you were a Christian. Sort of like anything that was not Christian is called pagan. We use the word a little bit different today, so it's important to get the idea of what they were actually saying here. So it's just a pre-Jesus kind of thing that they're saying. In Corinth, a very religious city, because of where it is, it's an international city. Everyone comes through Corinth, so it's got a little bit of everything. A little, a little piece of this, a little piece of that, a whole lot of gods, a whole lot of worship, very, very active religious world. And so most of the members of the church in Corinth didn't come out of the Jewish tradition. They came out of other traditions. And they came from many different places, some Jews, but some from more Roman kind of things, some more Hellenistic, some different places. And they were coming from multiple groups, and they were being formed together into one. Yeah, you got it. You know how this works. All right. A Jesus-seeking group. That's what they were about. Paul says very clearly and very politically incorrectly that they were all led astray. We don't talk like that now. In Greek, the word that he uses means prisoner or the condemned. So when we worship anything other than Jesus, whether that's money, sex, power, influence, business, social standing, popularity, we are getting ourselves into bondage. We are becoming restrained. We are no longer living in freedom, and we are the condemned. We are those that are set apart for destruction. That's why, as Christians, we cherish being led by Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of our church and the Lord of our lives. This church in Corinth used to be in bondage to the idols that they used to worship. And we tend to look now very disapprovingly upon anyone who still chooses to worship things that we know have no life. Something that was made out of wood or, or glass or stone or jewels. 
But, but the truth is, it's more complicated than that. There is no Jesus and something else. There, there's no, you, you don't mix them together and see what you can find. It's not concoction religion. There's no Jesus and anything else. It's Jesus only. So it's not mixing Jesus and another religion. It's not mixing Jesus and the occult. There's no mixing Jesus and spiritism. There's no mixing Jesus and fortune-telling. There's no mixing Jesus and crystals. There's no mixing Jesus and great mother universe. It's Jesus always, Jesus only. Jesus is our all in all. He is our everything. There is no together package. So as we look at this, what I want you to get, first of all, is that as Paul is teaching here, he's assuming their awareness with spiritual occurrences. That's the way it comes up. And so the first thing you need to know is that evil and good spiritual experiences may look similar. And he's implying this to them as he goes forward. The fruit, what is said, what comes out of that, what grows from that thing, that's what's important. So look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The idols are nothing, but the idols did represent demons. They knew this. That was what the idea was. The idol had no power, but the demons behind them did. And um, submitting yourself to the power of a demon had real problems. Part of the cult worship events that they would um, be involved in featured inspired utterances, things that came from somewhere else. They came despite the mute idol because they didn't come from the idol. They came from what was behind the idol. And Paul's concern early on is to establish that inspired speech does not give evidence that God is at work. What counts is what is intelligible and the Christian content of those utterances. Now, we normally think when something evil happens that there's this lights flicker, right? There's a sudden drop in temperature. Oh, I can see my breath. And whenever something evil speaks, it starts with, that's just not the way it works. And in the same way, it, it's when God speaks, when God is involved, it doesn't mean that words are spoken in a lower, breathy tone that always has a smile. That's not what God sounds like either. But we have stereotypes, and they work in our head because this is the way people make visual things, right? They make movies and TV shows to look like that. So we know that's the cue. And we'd all like to just always know. But we have to discern the source. You don't just get to say, oh, that's clearly, that was, that's the bad guy's voice. So we don't listen to that because he breathes like Darth Vader. Whenever we want to put God in the box and say, this is what he will always be like, be aware that he doesn't like them. He doesn't fit in them. And he will never fit in the box that you make to say, this is what God will be like. So first of all, the occurrences can look similar. We need to discern the source. The next thing is, as we go along here, the earliest Christian confession, the first way that you were able to define yourself as a Christian, that what you would say, how would you would indicate that before the Apostles' Creed, before we had any statements of faith, it was very, very simple. It was the gospel in three words. The whole message of Jesus. Three words. Jesus is Lord. 
That was it. That was the whole thing. And this statement was so incredibly radical. We don't sense it this, this way because we're, we're used to praising, but we don't have the same sort of lordship ideas. But this was a great way, one simple phrase, three words, that you get in all kinds of trouble. The first thing that you're saying is that every other religion, every other worldview is wrong. Shoot, that gets us in trouble right away, right? Nobody wants to hear that. That's not the way you guys are so intolerant, you're mean, you're cruel. It's not my choice. I didn't choose for it to be this way. But Jesus is Lord indicates that he is and someone else and everything else is not. The second thing for these people, more than us today, when they said Jesus is Lord, you were saying that the emperor is not God. The emperor is not the prince of peace, although that's what he named himself, and he did not have true power. That's a politically subversive thing to say. The emperor is not God, but there's an official emperor cult that you're encouraged to worship the emperor, alongside with anyone else you want, but the emperor is in there. So now you've got yourself in trouble with anyone who believes in a different worldview or a different religion. You've got yourself politically in trouble because you've sort of said that the government is not what they say that they are. And then the last thing, if you're a Christian, you'd look around to your Jewish friends and you'd have to say to them, while Yahweh is Lord, Yahweh is not the only name for Lord anymore. They share the title with Jesus because Jesus is Lord. Now, we believe that they're all part of the Trinity. It's one God. But for a Jewish person, this is an enormous thing to ask them to believe. One simple phrase that can and will offend basically everyone you know. Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus of Nazareth, by his death and resurrection, is the Lord of the universe. There is no other God. There is no other way for forgiveness. There is no other path to heaven. This is what we are saying when we together say, Jesus is Lord. We're making a very bold statement, a very important statement that should always be tempered, always presented with the way that Jesus has presented himself, full of grace and full of truth. Now, with that established, Paul moves from their past to their present and to our future, and he begins to talk about the gifts. Look at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. It's a God act. 100% God act. We have no say. This is a gift from God. And again, this is another place that puts us in humility before God. This is the way we relate to God, in humility. Your will be done in and through me. Verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, if you put those verses together, those three, you get gifts, service, working. Three words that all mean the same thing. Different ways of saying the manifestation of the Spirit. Also notice that as he wrote this, there was care given to reveal this in a Trinitarian formula, which means each member of the Trinity is highlighted as you went through there. First, the gifts were given by the Spirit. And then there was the Lord. Who is Lord? Jesus is Lord. And then God. 
also called God the Father. The, the, the word connected to Jesus is what? What word is what Jesus is about? The Lord will, what's the word that's in there? There are different kinds of what by the same Lord. Did you take it down? Sorry. I'm asking you to look at the words that I think are there but aren't there. But the same, uh, different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Heavenly power comes through the example of Jesus. What does that power look like? Humility and service. Servanthood. Be warned and be encouraged in this. Gifts should never become part of our identity, part of our pride, part of our PR system that we have to show you who I am. It's not part of my status. The reverse is also true. We don't need to bribe God or to pay him off. We don't need to spend our lives trying to be something that God never wanted us to be. Every other religion on earth says, do this and do this, and then after you're done doing those, do that. Then, maybe, he might like you for a bit, then maybe he'll give you what it is that you want. The way of Christ is entirely different. You were dead. He called you back to life. He will equip you to do everything that he has asked you to do because he just plain likes you. Verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What a great summary verse of the whole thing that we're going to do. Christians get at least one gift and they are given it to do one thing, to build up the common good. If you don't remember anything else, that was the summary right there. No rivalry, no jealousy. Gifts are not to be hidden. You are not to be ignorant of them. They are not to be repressed through fear or theology. We have to use them. Verse 8, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. That's the work that's ahead of us, not today, in the weeks to come. That's the whole series. Um, just reading that is enough to freak people out. And they start to say, well, let's talk about being kind. I get that. We should be kind. Let's help people. I get that. Those things are easy. This sets us up to be freaked out, right? To be a little bit tense. What is God going to do? And he's saying these are things that I'm going to do, and yet we still look at them and you say, Jesus, you're kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone. It's not what I'm choosing. It's not what I would like. I don't know how I feel about that. And Jesus is saying, it's okay. I got it. This is the way we work. This is what we do. And so we're going to be looking at this for real. We are not going to be studying this as a theoretical concept. We are going to be looking at this much more as a practical handbook or a, a field guide for spiritual living. Today we are stressing and emphasizing the heart behind the gifts, but later on we will talk about what the gifts are, how to use them, and where they show up, that kind of stuff. All right, so verse 11, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. He's really trying to get this clear. When God is at work, it's his will. God does this. Same God, in charge of the whole plan, just as he determines. 
This is to remind us that we can never demand of others that they would have our gifts or even our passions. Our unity is a divine unity, a gift given unto us. But part of our unity flows out of our diversity. We are each distinct individuals together. Can he remove something? Yes. Can he give you something for a moment? Of course. But the ongoing package is about us being distinct in diversity together. Now comes Paul's summary of what the church should be like, how we should behave. And has a lot of that mutual submission stuff in it. And it has interdependence all throughout here. This is the formula that he uses, starting at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one body part, but of many. When Paul wrote this, this was culture-shattering, earth-shaking, profound revelation. The whole way society worked there was to separate, to classify, and all those separations and all those classifications just got removed, erased like that. There is no one better. There is no one lower than anyone else. The religious distinctions, the socioeconomic strategies, all just swept away. This is not how you should be. And here's a theological moment here. We just jump out of this because we put some package, we put some stuff together. There's a difference between, this is language, right? We're getting the language. There's a difference between being filled with the Spirit and being baptized with the Spirit. And there's a million different things that people say about this stuff. So I want to try and just make it clear that we would have understanding that works in this way. We should be filled by the Spirit over and over and over again. When you become a Christian, when you receive the Spirit of Christ, He comes into you and you are baptized with the Spirit. That's what conversion is. Conversion is from this to that. Prior to Jesus, after Jesus. Lord of my own life, Jesus is the Lord of my life. That's the transition that's there. Now, conversion is one of those really sticky things theologically because it doesn't necessarily happen in a moment. For some people it does, and for some people it takes place over a long period of time. Complications, right? Conversion is submitting to Jesus as Lord, asking him to rule and to reign in your life. Then part of that conversion process is water baptism. As part of conversion is being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're told you repent and be baptized. This is the teaching given to the apostles. We were all given the same spirit to drink. We've been saturated by one spirit. The language is not coincidence. It brings both baptisms together. Water baptism represents spirit baptism. Spirit baptism happens when you say, Jesus, come. Water baptism is like the wedding ring that you put on that you say, hey, everybody, this commitment's now complete. It's done. We pray for people at water baptism for the filling of the Spirit and for the giving of the gift because sometimes, usually, we weren't there for the beginning of the process. 
We weren't there for the initial conversion event, the starting point, that when the baptism of the Spirit originally came. And we just want to make sure we're going to seal the deal. We're going to make sure that we are living in and under everything that we have been called to live in and under. And so that's why we do it at water baptism. We gather around, we lay hands on, we pray for the filling of the Spirit, and we pray for the giving of spiritual gifts to make sure that nothing gets missed. We will do what we have been asked to do, and we are asked to live and to know these things. So that's why we do it. So once again, please take a moment. If you've never been baptized by your choice when you knew what you were doing, then I'd say consider it. Strongly consider it. This is part of the process, and it's part of our process together as well. All right, take a little mental break, because I understand that's kind of heavy stuff. We don't normally talk like that. I don't normally preach like that. But this has some different stuff that we need to bring out. There's a little bit more meat that we got to grab onto to get through this. So that was it. All right, verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. This description is, is key. It starts in the way that they do this here is from the bottom up. Some people in the church in Corinth were poor. They were slaves. They were not given the more spectacular gifts. They did not have great positions, and they thought that they might be disqualified from being a useful Christian or a powerful Christian. Or they might have even wondered whether they were a Christian at all. And maybe that's the way some people at Into One feel also. So Paul goes on to say, relax. Don't worry. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God's care is not just extended to those that have more prominent or more spectacular gifts or a light. God ordains all of them, and they are all necessary to make the body function. But leave it to us to find a way to mess God's plan up, to mess up the unity of the church. And some people there maybe other places, some people thought that because of their money, because of their social standing, because of the prominent position that they had within or without the church, because of their gifts, that they were, in fact, better than others. And this brought in a sense of pride, a vanity, a self-sufficiency, a Jesus is not quite all the Lord for you. I'm part of the Lord for you. I'm better than you. And that uni unity in, in in diversity, was separated. If you want to have a good idea of what was going on in this church, read chapter 11. It'll tell you. It's arrogance. It's selfishness. It's, it's the spirit of non-unity. It was divisiveness. It was uncaringness. Paul knows this, and he knows that it has to be addressed. And that's why he reverses the image now, and he speaks to those with the so-called greater gifts, or the greater people in the church. Now, from the um, top, to the bottom. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, 
I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. Not also important. Indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If you put out your hand and I hit your thumb with a hammer and I say, how do you feel? Do you say, ouch, my thumb hurts? Or do you say, ow, I hurt? It hurts me. And all the focus and all the attention that the rest of me had on doing something else is suddenly lost for this focus on my thumb. We all hurt together. We all rejoice together. When something is good for your body, you don't say, oh, I got a great mark on that test. Way to go, brain! <laughs> we, it's one. We are together in that. It's yay for me. I accomplished this. I don't separate those parts off. It's like, good job, I. You saw that. It's no, we work together in that way. It's the same way it should be within the body of Christ. The weaker or the lower parts, according to God, are indispensable. All gifts have been given by God for the work of God because of the love of God. He knows how valuable they are, and he is saying to the church, don't mess this up. The body doesn't work without them. The appearance can be deceptive. It's not all that you see that matters. I gave these gifts for my purposes. They are all needed. For all of you who have ever felt lesser, you've ever been made to feel like you were under another Christian, you were under someone else who is simply just better than you are, God comes to you in this moment and he says, listen, you are mine. You are not less. You are right where I want you to be. Do not live in the shadows of others. Do not look to others to form your identity. I formed you. I have loved you. I do love you. I am pleased with your service. My voice matters. No, you are indispensable. This is what Jesus speaks to you today. And also say, if you are one of those people who has a stronger expression of the gift, you have more money, you have more influence, you have more chutzpah, don't be prideful. I gave you these things. Do not look down on anyone. Do not believe that you are more important or better. Be reminded that God has also said, I give and I take away. Look to me and hear from me. I am pleased with how you are doing and what I have given you. And what will you do to support those that are indispensable but unlike you? 
show equal concern for each other. Because if one part suffers, we all suffer. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping and guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. This does not mean that some are more important than others. Paul is saying this about influence and responsibility and authority, not about importance in God's eyes. They are different jobs. They have different things that are required. Apostles, prophets, teachers are not offices in the church. They are gifts given to the church for the common good. So try reading those things chronologically. To start with, you need an apostle to found something, to make it come. You need a prophet to, to provide divine utterance and to provide you foundational direction for where you go. And then you need teachers to help people stay informed and on target, to not allow them to drift off into the make-up-your-own-religion land, believe whatever you want. This is the way that all great move, movements since Jesus have been started. This is the way that they have been followed. Apostles, prophets, teachers. 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gift, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So, eagerly desire the greater gift. Wait, what? Didn't, didn't you just say that God gave them out? That God decides who gets what? So what am I supposed to do with desire the greater gift? What's a greater gift? What do I do with that? How do I put those pieces back together? We come before a living God with expectation. He is active and moving in our church, in our lives, and in our world. And we should have an expectation and anticipation of being ready for all that God would offer for all that God would do in our midst. But because of the character that the Spirit is working within us to create, fruit of the Spirit, we can earnestly seek, but then say, I am willing to do whatever it is that you want. Jesus is Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. I will be content. I will be satisfied with whatever you give me. We never demand of the living God. We seek, and then we are silent. And that's why Paul says, I will show you a more excellent way. And then he spends all of chapter 13 dealing with one thing. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians talks about love, but it's really all about character. It's the character that's personified or demonstrated by love, the character that is necessary for these gifts to be worked out, primarily focused in love, love to God, love to each other, and even love towards ourselves. The character that we must embody is love. Because he understands that we can have all of the gifts of the Spirit, God can be doing great things in us and through us, but if our character is not in alignment with our gifts, then we will just be annoyed, right? A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The music is lost. Jesus, once again, we ask that the will of the Father would be made clear to us this morning through your Spirit. Come and deal with us as you see fit. 
Do you think that right now, because of your gift or your age, your race, your gender, your education, your experience, that you're better than anyone else in this church? If you do, this is a problem. You are standing opposed to grace, opposed to mercy, opposed to sovereignty, and opposed to the lordship of Christ all in one package. The real move of God is when our real motives get brought to the surface and out into the open so that we might deal with them. The truth is that so often we're so sinful, we're so practiced in what we believe, that half the time we don't even know how we really feel about other people. We don't know what we're actually thinking ourselves. We just have reactions to things. So my question for you as we finish here is, would you be willing for God to really tell you what you think about other people? Then, would you be willing to ask him to help set you free? Do you think that you're better? Are you a person who thinks that you're less? At any point, are you even moderately filled with anger, envy, jealousy, or resentment towards God or those in the church who have stronger versions of the gifts that you have or they have a gift that you want and don't have? Have you been in your past putting God in a box because of your fear of what it would look like otherwise? Have you built a theology of practice that says God cannot do that? Or do you feel like I cannot be in a church where all that stuff happens? Never say to the living God of heaven and earth, don't you dare make it like that for me. Would you be willing to ask God to give you the character that you need so that the gifts might be made right in this place? the greater correct question. What does that character actually look like? Well, love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the character we're called to. God, forgive us for our arrogance. Forgive us for the places and times and ways that we have believed that we were better than others, that they were less than us. Forgive us for believing anything less than that we are indispensable to you. Forgive us for believing anything less than the people beside me, the people in front of me, and the people behind me are anything less than indispensable. You gave us each other as a gift. You have called us each indispensable. For what I am lousy at, 
God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are gifted. I need them. We need them so much. For where you have gifted me, thank you for my role in serving you and building up the body, for building up the church. Give me the gift of blessed humility to see myself as I truly am, not better and not worse than I am. I'm indispensable, but that is what you have made me. For the junk that I have brought into this world and into this church, God, please forgive me. God, we tell you that we are open. We are open as individuals and we are open as into one community church. Come. You are welcome here. Move in our midst in whatever way you desire. We are asking for you to begin to reveal to us our gifts. We embrace what you have for us. This is probably going to be a process, and, and, and so we will be patient as we wait upon you to bring these things to us. We surrender to you in humility, and we are excited, looking forward in expectation to what you will do in us, through us, and around us. Thanks for the gifts that you have given to my brothers and sisters. Fan them into flame. And Lord Jesus, please, build your church. Amen. On all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Thanks for being with us today. It's better when you're here. I know that there are times that we come and you say, I am worn out. I am worn thin. Don't give up. We're not done yet. We're still going. 